You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 9th of October 2023, presented by Dr Muriel Newman. The 14th of October is an important day for both New Zealand and Australia. Australia is holding a referendum about giving a voice to Indigenous rights. We are holding a general election where Indigenous rights, co-governance, has become a significant issue. It may well be the defining issue of the campaign and could explain the rise in support for New Zealand First. Labour hid its race-based agenda from the public and have done their best to keep it out of the headlines during the campaign. But the public now has a chance to say no to the race-based future that iwi leaders, Labour, the Greens and the Maori Party are trying to impose on the country. Here's Muriel Newman. The same day that New Zealanders vote in the general election to choose a new government, Australians vote in the voice referendum to see whether constitutional recognition will be given to Aboriginal people. This is a landmark decision for Australia. If the voice succeeds, the country will be divided by race. This is essentially what's happened in New Zealand. The difference is that in Australia the debate is out in the open and the public are being asked to vote on whether or not they want to go down this track. In contrast, in New Zealand there's been no openness nor debate. A race-based future has been imposed on us by the hipkins ardern Labour government. So let's look at what's occurring across the ditch and see what we can learn. The referendum was announced by Australia's new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, to give effect to the Uluru Statement from the Heart, a call for constitutional reform made by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities in 2017. To succeed, the Yes campaign must win a majority of votes in a majority of states. Voters will be asked to approve an alteration to Australia's constitution that would prescribe a body called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice that, quote, may make representations to the Parliament and the Executive Government on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. End quote. Those supporting the change say it's just a voice, an advisory body that will enable the government and parliament to listen to the views of Indigenous people about matters that affect them. The aim, they say, is to close the gap between First Nations people and non-Indigenous Australians. But opponents say the voice would erode the foundation stone of Australian democracy, the equality of citizenship. They claim it would introduce racial privilege into the heart of the Constitution, giving Aboriginals and their descendants a method of influencing public policy over and above the democratic rights enjoyed by all Australians regardless of race. Effectively, it would constitutionalise a race-based lobby group equipped with a taxpayer-funded bureaucracy that would give Indigenous peoples the ability to have a say on every law and administrative decision 
not just those relating to Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders. Along with the voice breaching that fundamental principle of equality of citizenship, it would also have unlimited scope in what it could become involved in. And while it might not have an official right of veto, in practice, that's what it could become. This week's NZCPR guest commentator is Australian research consultant Dr David Barton, who's worked in the area of Aboriginal affairs for the last five decades. He describes those pushing the voice as a power-grabbing activist elite with divisive ambitions. Quote, The voice referendum is purely and simply about the drive towards Aboriginal sovereignty, which can only be achieved by changing the nation's foundational document and charter. It's beholden upon the rest of us, those who care about Australia as a whole, rather than advancing the narrow interests of one group only, to contest the creation of a separate and sovereign Aboriginal nation on the Australian continent, for that's where the voice will take us. Once embedded in the Constitution, such an internal sovereign nation will be impossible to dismantle. This is the threat and the message all Australians must hear. Dr Barton explains that the drive for self-determination underpins the voice. Quote, One thing that bothers me is the constant calls for self-determination, not so much by Aborigines, but by white fella activists, some I later learned to be card-carrying members of the Communist Party and others who now hold senior positions in academia and the bureaucracy. The contemporary definition of Aboriginal self-determination is not about fitting in with the mainstream, of integrating or assimilating, but of splitting from mainstream Australia. Self-determination means we'll do what we like and you can pay for it. Self-determination is all about undermining white fella institutions, judiciaries, organisations and bureaucracies. For the activist cadre, it always was and always will be about money, power and control, all underscored by the notion that members of one race enjoy preeminence over all other Australians. More examples of self-determination can be found in the ban on climbing Ayers Rock, Uluru, and Mount Warning, all for ill-defined or unexplained cultural reasons. After much outcry, consideration is now being given to reopening the Mount Warning climb, but only for those who pay a fee and are escorted by Indigenous guides. Australian place names are also being rapidly overwritten, with, most likely, made-up Aboriginal names. All of this is about claims to ownership, to sovereignty. These changes should not be mistaken for deference to Aboriginal culture. It's no more nor less than an insidious takeover. What we're experiencing here is cultural guerrilla warfare, the picking off of one target after the other. End quote. Sound familiar? Dr. Barton completes the analogy by saying, don't believe it, look no further than what's happened in New Zealand. He's right, of course, it's exactly what's happening here, but there are some key differences. Firstly, the takeover is much more advanced in New Zealand, thanks to Labour. 
And secondly, while Australians get to vote on it, here, not only was it imposed on us, but the government did its best to keep it secret. In an ABC interview, Maori leaders conveying a message of support for The Voice presented a picture of a country living in peace and harmony. What they didn't explain is that for the last three years, Maori language and culture have been forced onto the country, whether we like it or not. Nor did they explain that former Prime Minister Ardern and two ministers, including Chris Hipkins, falsely promoted the treaty as an equal partnership to justify giving the tribal elite the power to ensure that all government policy aligns with their agenda and to impose co-governance across the public and private sectors. The effects can be clearly seen in health, where patients are now prioritised by race instead of need, and in three waters, where control of water is being transferred from democratically elected councils to the iwi elite. With the election just around the corner, and the public saying they've had enough of racial division, it's now become an election issue. Iwi leaders are also adding fuel to that fire by describing anyone who disagrees with their separatist agenda as racist. In an open letter to politicians, they wrote, quote, Racism in any form should have no place in our election. Leaders have a responsibility to call out racism and race-baiting and publicly condemn it. We support the position taken by the leader of the Labour Party, Chris Hipkins, calling for an end to race-baiting and racist comments in our country's election campaigns. We acknowledge both the Green Party and Te Party Māori for their anti-racism positions. Māori deserve better from the people who want to lead our country, so we're calling on Christopher Luxon, the leader of the National Party, to condemn the racist comments made by New Zealand First candidates, to condemn the race-baiting policies of the ACT Party, and to commit himself to representing all of us, including Māori. So, the battle lines are drawn. On one side is a small but powerful tribal elite supported by pro-treaty advocates who claim racial privilege is necessary to improve Maori disparity and anyone who disagrees with them is racist. And on the other side is the majority of the population who says everyone should be treated equally and say it's racist to give special privileges according to race. In the UK in 2021, the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities was established to determine whether racism was in fact the cause of ethnic disparity. The chairman, Dr Tony Sewell, reported, quote, The evidence shows that geography, family influence, socioeconomic background, culture and religion have a far more significant impact on life's chances than the existence of racism, end quote. It's the same in New Zealand. It's not race that causes disparity, but factors such as the breakdown of the family, educational failure and intergenerational welfare dependency. The reality is that the Labour government is responsible for dividing the country along racial lines by imposing their race-based hipurpur agenda secretly onto New Zealand without a mandate from the public. Now each group is accusing the other of racism, either racist for not allowing special privileges for Māori 
or racist for giving Māori special rights that others do not have. Contentious issues are of course not uncommon in democratic societies where they're able to be resolved through the democratic process as Australia is now doing with The Voice, yet Labour denied the public the right to approve or reject their hipuapua agenda for tribal control, even though it's constitutional in nature since it undermines the equality of citizenship and democracy itself. New Zealanders now have the chance to say no to the race-based future that iwi leaders, Labour, the Greens and the Maori Party are trying to impose onto the country. Their power grab is based on lies and deceit, and Kiwis need to reject it. To paraphrase Bob Hawke, New Zealand should stand proud as a country where there's no hierarchy of descent, no privilege of origin. The commitment to being a New Zealander is the one thing that should unite us all. And that's the point. We need to consider ourselves New Zealanders first and foremost to stop the cancer of racial division that's now infecting our society, we should follow the lead of countries that have already addressed this problem. For Sweden, Holland, Belgium, Austria, France and Germany, the solution was to focus public policy on need, not race. As a result, all references to race were removed from their statutes. Instead of a voice referendum, we need an equality referendum, to remove race from our statute books. Is there a political party prepared to promise such a referendum so New Zealand's racial tensions can be healed? Let's hope so. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.